Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and live from Los Angeles, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. It's so nice to have you back. And, you know, over the years, I think, you know, sometimes my slogans maybe haven't gotten through to you. You know, I don't know if it's mis- mm-hmm. miscommunication between us, maybe willful, willful ignorance on your part, but like, you know, purpose versus a purpose. We argue about this one for years and years. We never really got to a conclusion. I think I noticed we have another problem, unfortunately, with the slogans, because, you know, one of my favorite summer mantras, right? Uh, you know, leave nothing but footprints, take nothing but pictures. Now, it's a br- uh-huh. it's a brilliant one, okay? We've had probably dozens of people send in messages uh, on Instagram over the last, like, month and a half. I'm in Canada. Here's a picture of this sign with those words on it. I'm in Iceland. Here's a picture of those signs with, with those words on it. And every time I get one of those, it just makes me so happy. It just fills my heart up. I'm just, you know, in the best mood. But I, I'm not sure... You just went on a vacation where you went to like 67 of the top 100 Rand McNally destinations in Europe of like the coolest places to go. (laughs) And your Instagram is just a desert. And so did you get the slogan wrong or did you did it confuse you? Because I know it's a little bit clunky there with like take nothing but pictures. (laughs) Like, did you think that meant take no pictures? Like have like just an invisible trace? Like, did you really go on vacation if you didn't document it for the gram? I guess that's my question. Well, so here's the thing, okay? I was absolutely living the mantra, taking nothing but pictures, leaving nothing but footprints. I was having a great time abroad. I did feel a little bit guilty, though, because my trip to Europe came about two weeks after your monologue about America being underrated and all of us needed to get out and experience America's bounty. And so I felt like I was betraying my country a little bit and betraying the podcast a little bit. But if we want to get down to brass tacks here, I did say to you before I left that I was going to try to be more active on Instagram. And then I got over to where we were and I was just like, you know what? I'm sick of the internet and just had to shut off. And you're big on mindfulness, correct? Oh, of course. But look, I mean, so you're going to be peaceful and you're not going to let anyone else enjoy in your peace? It's so selfish, ain't <laughs> <Kind> you? Kind of. <laughs> look, I think it's a sign of maturity. The older you get, the less you give a shit about social media. And so that's where I was on this vacation. Oh, you're getting pretty darn old then because I didn't see anything. Your wife killed <laughs> well, you on Instagram. Alice held it down for the family. I was really glad to see her do that. Can we just backtrack though real quick? This is going to be a complete sidebar. We will get to basketball, I promise you, because we got some great questions from the Open Floor Globe uh, at openfloormail yeah. at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. You were talking about feeling guilty about going to Europe, Andrew. And I want to be very uh-huh. clear. You should not feel that way. Not only am I happy for you to go out there and experience it, I actually think that you're setting a very good example. Now, I know you've been away uh, from the internet here for like the last month. You've really been checked out. So you probably missed this huge raging debate over Taylor Swift's song called London Boy. Okay, now granted, <laughs> it's kind of like this upbeat pop song. She's in love with this British guy. And so she does the very typical tourist thing of like name checking every uh, landmark in London that are like really obvious. And so you know what happened, Andrew. All the well actually elite critics said, oh, she's just going to the boring places. This isn't the true London. If you want to know the true London, here's where you should really go. And kind of shaming her for this beautiful ode to their country. My hottest take of the summer is that London Boy is not only a good song, it's a crucial, very important song. Look, if you're going to go to London for the first time, you should go see the clock. It's an important thing to see. You don't need to go. <laughs> you don't <laughs> You don't need to go to like the underground dive bar that 15 people have heard of that you need three different fake IDs to get into. Look, I'm all for yeah. off the beaten path travel. There's no question about it. What I am not for is travel shaming. And I'm going to say this right now, Andrew. When I run for president, I am going to be the Elizabeth Warren of travel policy, okay? I am appealing to absolutely everyone. If you want to go to London, go see the clock. Go see some of the churches. If you go to Paris, go see the big, you know, Space Needle, whatever they call it. You've got to see the uh-huh. the most important uh, destinations to just be a better human being. And what really killed me about it is here's Taylor Swift, this huge star, showing 
love to England at a time in their history where they deserve no love whatsoever, right? Like they're trying to shut themselves off from the world. Uh, and they've got this, you know, with the whole Brexit thing, they've got this kind of snooty attitude towards her song. It's like, guys, you should just be thankful that she wrote such a nice song. Uh, you know, you yeah. can you can obviously say, hey, I've got some other favorite places maybe tourists should want to check out. But you don't have to get elitist about it. Let's just all be travel populists. Let's encourage the cross-cultural exchange. And that's why I'm very proud of you, Andrew. I'm glad you went to Europe. And I want to hear all about it. Like, what were some of the highlights? Because... That's what life's all about. You know, let's bring this globe together. Let's not try to, you know, snub our noses at some big pop singer. Yeah, well, listen, I I think that you have buried the lead here, which is that you are low-key a huge Taylor Swift fan, which I really (laughs) respect. It caught me off guard on one of the few conversations we had. What? How did I bury the lead? I just broke in with a three-minute rant at the start of a podcast. (laughs) Well, no. The rant was about critics of London Boy. I love that you are taking up the mantle to defend T-Swift on that one. London Boy is a a nice companion to her, like, cliche Welcome to New York song. I think it works for her. It's a banger. And guess what you know another good song andrew welcome to new york and if you go to new york you should go to times square <laughs> look and i understand people are going to make fun of like michael scott for eating sabaro pizza when he goes to new york okay i get it like yeah try some local stuff i'm not saying have a cookie cutter vacation but for the vast majority of people around the world the concept of going to new york or london is out of reach so the, the idea that we're going to sit back here and snub our noses at anyone who you know can't afford to do it the right way or isn't cool enough to know the the best spots it kills me if you go to new york check out the empire state building check out that green statue on the water i mean they got lots of cool stuff do all of it yeah i'm with it i'm with it you know as far as i'm concerned if you go to a place like new york or paris or rome or wherever like the idea it it always sounds better in theory to go off the beaten path and do like the cool stuff that that most tourists don't know about but the reality I've found is that most of the time you have to like spend an extended period of time in those cities to know what's actually cool. And if you're only there for like 72 hours, you're better off just hitting the landmarks and, uh, and checking out like the cool famous stuff. So I agree on that front. And Taylor Swift, you texted me. You have every single one of her albums in your phone. And, uh, and I appreciate that as well because... I don't trust anybody who doesn't like Taylor Swift's music. Look, if I can get 10 people on Instagram to reply to me to say, post your song by song rankings from Lover, I'll <laughs> I'll do it, okay? I got them one to five. I got a lot more heaters. And you're going to need to be careful because there are some very quotable lines on that album, Andrew. And at points during this podcast or future podcasts, I might just be dropping Taylor Swift knowledge and you're, you might be thinking it's just coming from me. So you might need to catch up wow. on the listening too. But for real. It's that deep, huh? It's that deep. But hey- what was your favorite part of the trip? Like, what was your takeaway experience? You're off the grid. You're getting into this Zen mind state. You're making us jealous and not sharing any of it with us. So, you know, give us a little taste right now. Honestly, the coolest place we went was Slovenia. We spent a week there. Uh, We were in a town called Bled, and then we were in the capital, Ljubljana. I will say it helped me get in touch with uh, the Luca stands. That's the, sort of the heart of Luca yeah. standum. And I think I'm going to be in a better place with Luca Doncic this year after spending time in Slovenia. And Wait, the main so hold thing on. is all the people we met were really cool. When you went to Bled, were there 7-Elevens, convenience stores? I mean, what do they have there? And then did any of the employees <laughs> look like that reigning rookie of the year? I mean, now that you could see it up close and personal, what would you think? Well, what I will say about Slovenians is there are a lot of like gigantic dudes in Slovenia. And uh, so they're big and doughy, a lot like Luca. I don't think any of them have the basketball skills that Luca has. But honestly, that was uh, that was my takeaway. It's like there are some giant humans in this part of the world. I'm so happy that you said Slovenia was the highlight of your trip because right before you left, and I'm sure that you were just like so excited to go, you ran down all the places uh, that you were going. And I'm pretty sure I told you like Slovenia was number one on my jealousy list. And I also need to apologize because I'm pretty sure I was like, Paris, come on, don't go to Paris. I hate Paris. (laughs) And you said you were the most excited for Paris. So I don't know if that means Paris was a letdown for you or if you just came around to the you know the bright side and realized that Slovenia is uh, where it should have been. That's where I wanted to well, go. No. I've never been. It sounds amazing. 
Yeah, it was funny because Paris, I wasn't saying I was most excited for that. It's just my favorite city in the world, which is sort of like a Taylor Swift style cliche there uh, because it's everyone's favorite city. But just Wait, the food, Andrew, I really is I it like, like Paris. Is it because it's romantic or the or the great French food or <laughs> like the, the you know, hats? I'm just I mean. strolling by the Eiffel, you know, living my dream. Uh, no, it, Paris is cool, but honestly... This time, Paris was kind of gray, and um, we didn't do as many of the touristy things because my wife thought we were too cool for that, and then that led to just like a lot of shopping, and so I was walking around Paris being like, all right, this is not that great, and so our next stop was Slovenia, and that's why Slovenia was so awesome. That sounds awesome. Well, you know, you can play back my rant to Alice for the next time you go to Paris. Let her know how important it is to go see the the big landmarks and uh, you know, maybe uh, you'll, you'll get what you want out of that trip too. Anyway, I think it's basketball time, Andrew. <laughs> it is, but it's good to start off the pod with an international flair. And just so you know, a pledge to you and the listeners, I am going to be more active on Instagram, oh, don't documenting make, our Andrew, NBA travels Andrew, this season. Andrew, don't make promises you're not going to keep, bro. You've been making all, yeah. I'm still waiting for your jerseys from three years ago. we'll see we'll see how it goes but look the international talk is a good way to dive into FIBA we've got some questions here Ben says I can't wait to hear about how how bright the Wizards future is because Rui dunked on someone in the FIBA World Cup did you see the game this morning USA Japan Rui absolutely posterized Miles Turner what are your thoughts I, well, first of all, to Ben, incredible foresight. I mean, he absolutely nailed it. <laughs> Rui did dunk on Miles Turner. He did get the internet um, bump from dunking on Miles Turner. And then you look at the score, they're down like 30 plus, And then his plus minus was minus 45 for the game. So mm-hmm. um, I do think that sounds a lot like what the Eastern Conference is going to be like this year. Don't you think? A lot of 45-point losses? Well, look, man, Greg Popovich himself said that plus minus is a flawed stat. Oh, my goodness. That's not what we're going to be taking away from USA Japan. But in general, let's talk about FIBA because I honestly, I came back after Labor Day and really enjoyed watching USA Turkey at 9 a.m. on the East Coast on Tuesday and uh, was not prepared to like it quite as much as I did, but it was just good to have like real basketball back in my life. So what are your takeaways from Team USA so far? I know you were out there with them when they were practicing in LA, and then things have gotten a little shaky as they've gone to the other side of the world. So what are you seeing right now? Yeah, you know, a few different things. First of all, I'm glad you asked because I thought I was the only person who cared about this for like the last month, Uh, you know, following them in Vegas and then Los Angeles. I was like way too deep into like breaking down style and play and stuff like that. And it didn't seem like it was really registering with people. But now that the games are starting, it's good to see uh, more interest in this tournament. It was a very entertaining game against Turkey. Their loss to Australia, to me, was fascinating. You know, the way that Patty Mills is able to just kind of like bury them in this exhibition game and they're all sitting around stunned. Uh, You know, a couple thoughts. This team reminds me kind of like the Utah Jazz of uh, FIBA, right? Where like the offensive firepower isn't there. The big time stars aren't there. The defense uh, is usually there. Uh, They're overachieving a little bit. And now it's like, all right, we're going to get a test. Like, is this going to be good enough to win a title? Because in the NBA, those kinds of teams often get just dismissed as, okay, they're, you know, cute stories. Uh, You know, okay, you might win a lot of games during the regular season, but what can you really do in the playoffs? That's sort of who they've been. I mean, to me, I kind of compared them earlier this summer to the United Spurs of America, like the way they're playing, where it's like, you know, going deep into your bench, uh, really being focused uh, first on defense, a lot of drive and kick stuff on offense, sort of using uh, Kemba Walker, kind of like a, a younger Tony Parker, uh, you know, hoping that yeah. Donovan Mitchell can sort of be like a, a little bit of that backcourt pop, like Amano Ginobili. Um, but, you know, ultimately, like those Spurs teams weren't truly elite without Duncan, and they just don't have any big guys. And, and so that's been uh, one of the major hangups. I think, you know, kind of uh, along the same lines in terms of just judging this team, you know, from like 10,000 feet, it's a reminder that like the top 10 players or top 12 players of the NBA are just built differently, right? Like they just impact games in a different manner. I think to me, like Kemba Walker is somewhere around like the 20th, 25th best type player in the league. 
and he just does not command the, the action as well as the true elite superstars would, even against, you know, lesser competition, whether it's Turkey um, or Australia. It's just a different feel. And it, it pains me to say this, Andrew, but even your guy, Kyrie Irving, I think if you put him mm-hmm. on this team, would just command the entire game. Everything would revolve around him in a different way than it does for any American player. And and that goes for not only Kemba. I mean, I'm not trying to, to slight Kemba here specifically. I just think he's the best yeah. player on their team. It goes for Mitchell too. It goes for, you know, Middleton when, you know, when he's trying to do things offensively. It goes for any of their guys. And uh, so I think that this is kind of a nice feather in the cap for everybody who's like, you have to have superstars to win championships, you know, like, you know, try to just sell out and get, you know, whatever it takes to get an Anthony Davis with LeBron James or like whatever you have to trade to get Paul George, uh, you know, along with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I think that, you know, this USA experience has sort of validated some of those thoughts. Yeah, well, and your Kemba point is interesting because I I agree that some of these games have exposed his limits a little bit, and yet at the same time, he is leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the roster in terms of his abilities as a creator and the pressure that he can put on defenses in big moments. And that's kind of alarming because, like, I don't know. I, the, the jazz analogy is a good one because you can look at Team USA and say that when Donovan Mitchell makes shots, they are the best team in this field, including Serbia, who people are talking about like they're the 92 dream team. And relative to some of the like crappier USA games, maybe they are. But uh, in general, that's my takeaway is that like the younger guys on this team have been like a little bit underwhelming and granted like there are still a couple more weeks of games here and there's next year's olympics and so they're gonna have chances to show out together and to step up but uh they just haven't been very good and that's that's kind of the difference when you when you compare this to like FIBA world championships of years past like in 2014 it was Steph and Clay and DeMarcus Cousins played really well for that team. And uh, Kyrie was on that team as well. And then you've got that 2010 team in Turkey where it was Steph and Russ and Durant and like those guys stepped up. And now it's Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell who have been kind of preordained as like the, the breakout guys on this team. And, and Pop has put a lot of faith in them. And they're just not quite getting it. They're not making shots. Like they, they, they all care. They're playing really hard, but they just don't quite have it the way some of the young stars of, of years past have. I'm with you. Your point about Kemba, you know, having the most influence of any of these guys is dead on. But isn't it still different? Like down the stretch of these games, I don't have faith that he's going to pull it out. Right. Like even against Australia was a little bit sloppier. They definitely looked, uh, you know, better. And especially he looked better against Turkey late. But like you're still just kind of sitting there like this could go either way. Anything could happen here. You don't have that faith and that trust. And you certainly have it more in him than anybody else. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's had some bad turnovers in big moments where you're just like, what are you doing? Uh, so I think that's sort of just the different sensation. I mean, for me, watching Team USA in years past, it's like whether it was, especially for Durant, but there was moments with Kobe as well, or even Melo, where it's like, all right, like it's winning time. These guys are just going to put them away. And just that's that. And, and uh, it's just not the same vibe watching this team. Now, your point about exactly some of these secondary players. I mean, isn't this kind of like beer goggles Team USA, right? Like if you put on the beer goggles, <laughs> Donovan Mitchell looks like Dwayne Wade, right? If you put on the beer goggles, Kebba Walker feels kind of like a Kyrie Irving. If you put on the beer goggles, uh, Chris Middleton is like a very poor man's, I don't know, Kevin Durant, whatever you want to say. But there is a noticeable difference between their talent level and you know the hype that can build around these guys in these situations. And I even think going back to the last FIBA World Cup where you had some guys, whether it was Steph Curry, you know, James Harden, some of these players who were really just about to pop into like the top five, 10 player category of the NBA. Yeah. We just, you can see with Donovan Mitchell, he's not ready to be that guy yet. You know, we can want it for him. We can want it for Jason Tatum. Uh, and the, the opportunity is absolutely there. Those guys just aren't ready. They're not ready to be top five, 10 players. And they're not really that close. And so um, mm-hmm. to me though, what I've already started to see is people kind of go the other direction and say, look, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, gold or bust. If these guys don't win, it'll be understandable. And 
I get it. That's an accurate assessment of the talent level on this particular team. But make no mistake, there are no excuses. USA Basketball should win gold at every major tournament, period. There should be no you know, ifs, ands, or buts about that. And so it's a failure of the program. It's a failure across the board if they do not take home gold. They've got to figure out the recruiting thing. They've got to figure out the buy-in thing. They've got to, you know, connect with that next generation of stars. Um, They've got to, you know, be very clear in their communication about who's on the team and who's not, because clearly that impacted uh, some of the late withdrawals, just the way things were playing out. You know, I don't think they brought their best 12-man group uh, overseas with them when you're looking at guys like P.J. Tucker and De'Aaron Fox just sort of mysteriously, you know, falling by the wayside late in the process. So uh, to me, I think that we should not be so forgiving. I will be very disappointed in USA basketball if they don't win gold. Yeah, I will too. And I, I actually expect them to win gold. I think people are talking about this team as if they've already lost. And I'm sure that they will figure it out. And I'm going to enjoy watching them figure it out. Because that's the thing that's like... I don't want to knock them too much because I like all the guys who want to be there. I think it's cool that four Celtics are there and they're treating this as sort of like a bonding exercise to get ready for the season. And I think it's cool that Donovan Mitchell wanted to do it. I will say to take it to a granular level, uh, my one complaint, Jalen Brown needs to be playing a lot more than he has. And Pop sort of fixed that against the Japanese team today, and so maybe that will be a a shift that sort of continues over the rest of the tournament here. And then they needed a big man who could pass and protect the rim. Uh, Miles Turner has been great as a rim protector, is kind of lost as a passer in the center of those zones. I don't know why they did not keep Bam Adebayo on the roster. Like, he was sent home for mysterious reasons. I don't know what happened there. But when people ask, like, who else could have helped this team, I think Bam Adebayo really could have helped them uh, as sort of like the centerpiece that they run things through in that zone. Because you look at the teams, like, that's how every other team is beating these 2-3 zones. And... um, America just doesn't really have the personnel. Like, it'd be great to have Draymond Green in the center there, but, like, Miles Turner and the Plumlee is not, like, that's not good enough. Um, so that's that's frustrating. The point on Kemba, just to return there, I think one of the issues that we're seeing is, like, he's just small, and th- and that's a problem when you're, like, the go-to guy at the end of games. It's something I talked about when we were comparing him and Kyrie. It's like... Kyrie's a couple inches taller and a little bit longer, and Kemba is just more compact. And so that's why they need more creators. Like Jason Tatum, it's it's hard because I want to believe, but like he is just so slow, like getting into his moves. And when whenever you ask him to create in isolation, it takes like 10 or 15 seconds for him to get to the basket. He hasn't been finishing there. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how they solve some of these issues going forward. Um, well, no surprise. You want to see more from the Celtics, guys. I mean, unbelievable. You, you, could, <laughs> you could step away from the internet for three years and still come back a Celtics fan. It just kills me. But, uh, you know, Bam actually didn't play that well in Vegas. I don't know, uh-huh. like, if it was a basketball reason or what. Um, I wonder, though, if it's more on Plumlee. You know, like if he has a skill set that you're describing where maybe you mix him in more. I mean, he's pretty good with the ball. He's he's had that situation, you know, playing high-low basketball at various stages of his career. I mean, maybe they look to him to do some of that. But yeah, like it's not a very enviable position when you're, you know, Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr and you're like, well, like, do we go all in strategically with Mason Plumley? It's like, uh, yeah, no, that's a tough <laughs> well, one. And on Ted on- Plumley, I feel like that's a vestige of the coach K era where he got like the token invite to camp every summer. And he just I keeps showing up great to reward. <laughs> he him. keeps yeah, showing up. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know how we got here where like Plumley is the only alternative to miles Turner, but you know, here we are. I think in general, the one thing I, I have enjoyed is having a team like this. You know, when we, when we last potted, like, I think like a month ago, I talked about bringing a team full of young guys because a, a more level playing field is just a lot more interesting and that I have experienced that. Like I think it's cool that the US is gonna have to fight in some of these games. And I also think like leveling the playing field 
makes it more interesting watching a team like Serbia because they know they have a real shot to win the, the championship here or win the tournament. No, uh, I mean, I get it, but like, I'm, I'm a fan of greatness, you know, not a fan of drama. So I understand you, you want the, you know, minute by minute popcorn eating, but I want to see the best that America has to <laughs> offer. And it, I, when I watch this team, I don't see like, oh, this is going to be this exciting, like four quarter battle. I just like kind of sit there and say like, man, this is such an off brand version of what we should be doing. Uh, I don't know if that's national yeah. pride speaking or just love of the game or what, but um, I do have that problem. Going back to Tatum, man, he had some critics in Vegas. So people are going right at him after watching him in some of the scrimmages, talking about, uh, you know, what, where's his strength, upper body strength? You know, what is, you know, why isn't he finishing uh, above the rim? Why isn't he able to get to his spots more easily? Uh, going back to some of the uh-huh. shot selection questions. Now, his three ball has looked pretty good. He's got great form. I think people know that. And when he is just doing like, you know, uh, catch and shoot threes, uh, you know, that's been a, a pretty good weapon for him in some of those scrimmages as well. But, you know, I had one guy come up to me and be like, bro, like you media guys are just dead wrong on Tatum. Like this is not the next savior. Like, I don't know, like basically just like cutting into all of uh, Tatum's sort of offensive potential. And I kind of yeah. get it. Like physically, he's not that imposing big wing that we associate with like the best players at their position. And I know he's still young. Maybe he'll grow into it a little bit, but um, you know, I I definitely expected more from him during this experience than I've seen. And and the ankle injury is just a bummer because if that winds up costing him multiple games or the rest of the tournament or whatever, uh, it's a pretty sour way to have it go. Yeah. Well, and Tatum, that hits at something I wrote about this week, which is my predominant takeaway from all this, because I think it's interesting as sort of, a window into what the next generation of hoops is going to look like. Because if you go back to 2014 and 2010, like those U.S. teams sort of uh, foretold what was going to happen in the NBA over the ensuing four or five years. And you look at Tatum, like in the wake of the Turkey game earlier this week, I was talking to Sam Esfandiari, a friend of the podcast, and we were just going back and forth possibly talking about your, some of the younger guys. Possibly your only friend, because you got bring this guy up every episode. <laughs> well, he said, if you list the best players under 25 years old, how far down the list do you go before you get to an American? And it kind of blew my mind to actually walk through this exercise, because when you think about it, it's Giannis, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, who grew up in New Jersey but identifies as Dominican for international purposes. Uh, and then you've got Doncic, you've got Ben Simmons, you've got Kristaps Porzingis. And it's hard to think of an American who cracks that top group. And, you know, Porzingis is his own sort of curious case at this point. Nobody knows what he's going to look like after the injury. But, like, in general, the two things I found interesting are, number one, there's no surefire American star on the level of Giannis or Jokic right now, under 25. And number two, we're particularly lacking in that those wings who are like 6'8 or 6'9 and the most athletic players in the world and most explosive and can just like dominate the league. Like that's when you look at the last 30 years, those have been the best players in each decade. And you look at who we've got coming up and it's like, are you are going to sell yourself on Jason Tatum as a potential MVP winner going forward or Jalen Brown? Like, I don't necessarily see them hitting that level. I think both those guys can make all-star games, but there's no real successor to the LeBron, Durant, Carmelo, Kobe era that we just lived through. I You made a spectacular point, but did you just really try to ask if Tatum or Brown are going to win MVPs during their career? I mean, that's not a, that can't be a well, serious question. <laughs> Come on. Honestly, though, I feel like that's the way some people have talked about them. And you got Donovan Mitchell getting oh. compared to Dwayne oh. Wade. I'm like, let's slow down. Like, what are you guys watching here? I'm not really sure if I'm re- willing to go that far. Yeah, I'm definitely not willing to go that far. I don't see MVPs in their future personally. Um, I think it's a great point about the accumulation of uh, international talent at the very top. I think it's excellent for the sport. I don't think we should be wringing our hands because America hasn't produced a Nikola Jokic or a Giannis. That's fine. Like those guys are amazing. Now we do have, so, you know, this stuff does tend to go in waves, right? And I think that we've had a couple of years here that have been a little meh uh, in terms of like the big time superstar guys. I mean, to me, 
when I'm starting to think about that under 25 question, like I think we actually do pretty well under 21, right? Like if you start to go to guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, Zion Williamson, mm-hmm. uh, to me, some of those guys have sky high, game changing, best player in the world type potential. So we might be in a little bit of a drought here, uh, but I'm not willing yeah. to like, you know, question like the American development system or anything like that. And I do think that we've expanded the definition of wings slightly, right? Because I mean, KD, for example, when he was coming up, like, I don't know if we would have called him that prototypical wing, right? Like there was people questioning his body and how's he going to fit and all that kind of stuff. And basically he changed the game into his mold um, by being this, you know, basically seven footer who could shoot, defend and, and, you know, cover lots of ground and all that stuff. So I'm not like focusing all of my mental desires on the next like prototype six, eight wing, like as being the savior American basketball, I do think we should stay pretty open-minded about it. I'd be willing to say like, Hey, if the right, if things break properly, Zion in a very unusual body type, you know, could wind up being like the face of American basketball down the road. Um, but I think you're, you're making a, a great point about a positional, uh, you know, gap for sure. Yeah, it's just a pretty interesting quirk that I feel like has been overshadowed a little bit. And when we talked about Tatum a year ago, I said explicitly on this podcast, I was like, you know, maybe we're wrong and he's going to be a superstar just because it feels like somebody on the wing is going to dominate the next decade and maybe Tatum is that guy. But I'm beginning to sort of second guess that notion uh, the further along we get here. But um, in general, the, the point you made about the value of those international guys, when you think about some of the cycles the NBA used to go in, like, you know, the early 2000s, some of the talent was pretty bleak. And I think that's one of the cool things about how globalized the NBA has become now is that now as the American talent pool hits a little bit of a blip, like there are guys like Jokic no. and Giannis. Let's be real. And I mean, Luka. let's be real. It's let's be real. We got in on Giannis because we're going to be riding this thing for the next eight years. Okay. Like, let's just not, don't even beat around the bush. Like this guy is going to carry the sport for the next eight years for guys. I mean, and we're used to, you know, covering every step that LeBron makes throughout Cleveland to Miami to Cleveland to LA. Like that's going to be the same deal for Giannis here going forward for the next decade. And if he just didn't exist, and there are so many alternate histories of Giannis's life where he never makes it to the NBA oh, yeah. and he never becomes a superstar level player, right? Um, there would be a much bigger void than there is. So I'm thanking my lucky stars for it personally, and I'm glad we got in early, man. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited to go on the ride. Uh, will you be cheering for Greece on Saturday when Giannis suits up against Team USA? You know I don't cheer, Andrew. Come on. I just I want to see bat- <laughs> I want to see greatness. So, I mean, he's going to be the best player on the court. Uh, they've had a weird first couple of games. I don't know the internal yeah. dynamics of uh, the Greek program. I mean, I think if I were them, uh, I would be letting – Giannis's agent coach the team, you know, kind of like a Rich Paul scenario, get him a little bit more actively involved. I'd have all four, all three of his brothers on the roster, maybe even the other one who plays uh-huh. soccer, the older brother, I might bring him on the basketball roster too, and just like completely <laughs> turn it over to them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting defensive challenge for Team USA because Tatum, I mean, come on, he's going to get ragdolled. Uh, Middleton probably has the best chance of anyone just because he understands tendencies, has been around him. He, he's had some success against guys like Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. Um, Harrison Barnes, I mean, that sounds pretty frightening, just like right off the top. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you just like pack the paint and you know throw four bodies on them and just basically dare anybody else to beat you. I think that's probably going to have to be their strategy. Um, like maybe just junk it all the way up. Uh, but you know, it, it'll be. That's sort of what I'm looking for is what's Popovich's defensive game plan against Giannis. Um, mm-hmm. That's the most interesting wrinkle of that game. Yeah, I'm a little bit wary. You know, when we thought about Giannis in the World Cup like a month ago, I was pretty excited. I had visions of him just kind of beasting out on every other player there and taking over the field and carrying Greece to a gold medal and I, you know, I watched Greece Brazil earlier this week, and it it gave me a little bit of PTSD to the Raptors series because Giannis was frozen out, and then the Brazil coach came out puffing his chest out, talking about how he'd figured out Giannis because he watched the Raptors series. 
I didn't like any of it. Well, look, and so Andrew, I don't trust the Greek teammates. I don't trust the Greek coach. I don't know. This was a big moment for us, though, because we haven't gotten the opportunity to really build uh, an enemies list, right? Because no one ever mm-hmm. says anything negative about Giannis. Like, when was the last time anybody took a shot at Giannis? So we've started our enemies list with the Brazil head coach talking real tough against Giannis, uh, saying that he had the defensive game plan figured out for six months. Oh, okay. All right. That, there will be a time Giannis does not forget. We do not forget. Those words will come back to bite him. Yeah, the Croatian coaching Brazil is on the list, goddammit. Uh, but Ben, let's keep it moving and shift to the Devin Booker fiasco. But before we do, today's show is brought to us by Noom. Some people think that all diet and weight loss plans are the same But that's because they haven't tried Noom. Noom is a new, totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help you change your habits, making it easy to lose weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Noom. I don't know about you, Andrew, but for me, this has been a city boy's summer. You know, it's been about getting right and tight and in training camp shape. Noom's the the way you do it, okay? It's just so... It's just so easy and simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom can help you lose your old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose besides weight? Visit noom.com slash podcast. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast and start your 14-day trial today. Change your habits, change your mind, change for good with Noom. N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. There you go. You know, get right, get tight with Noom. That's not their slogan, but maybe it is after today. Hopefully they'll hear this ad and realize all the money they're leaving on the table. But Ben... City boys are winning the FIBA World Cup, I'll tell you that. All right. Exactly. The city boys. Alex writes, we need to know Andrew's take on Devin Booker skipping Team USA to complain about getting double teamed in a meaningless summer pickup game. We actually don't need to know my no, take. No, we do. We do. I will say this. I gave, my no, no, no. T- I gave my take and it was like the most boring take possible, which is I didn't think the video should become public. And I was like actually defending Devin Booker for like, he shouldn't have had to answer oh. to that because it, it felt a little like snitching by the, by the videographers. That's all I'm saying. Like it, it felt like a very unnecessary uh, distraction, but that's what I said. Not Not my best take in the world. So you save us here. That's interesting because I saw that video and that was the one time in the middle of August where I was like, man, I wish this happened during the season so that we could just podcast about it for like an hour and a half. Or what I really wanted was for you to declare a state of emergency with the within the open floor globe and hop on and host a solo like 45 minute monologue on Devin Booker's, uh, the ethics of his <laughs> double team policy and pickup games. But oh, I guess- So you were anticipating that I was going to crush him for this? 
Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, but I'm glad you did. it. Okay. Bottom line. You're right. Okay. I, I, I was trying to take the high road on this one. I mean, it disgusts me that you look at defense <laughs> in a pickup game and try to like, you know, say, eh, don't guard me that way. Come on. That's in- incredibly just anti-competitive. You got to be better than that. But look, I just felt bad for him because nobody wants that leaked audio, that leaked video of a compromising situation where like, you know, something that was supposed to be between friends, keep it in the family. And now you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people watching it and weighing in. I just felt a degree of sympathy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very fair and uh, very mature of you. I think that is accurate. Devin Booker, in general, has been the source of a lot of angst. He got into it with Bill Simmons recently. And I don't know if Alex thought that I was going to defend Devin Booker. I just, like, I feel like an old guy. But Bill Simmons is right when he says that Devin Booker should be playing with Team USA right now. Like, and look, Devin Booker is free to do whatever he wants. But I do look at his resume over the last four years and find it a little puzzling that he's not playing with Team USA here because, like, I understand why established veterans, like you mentioned P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker has played 10-month seasons for a couple years in a row now, and that's certainly his plan for the Rockets this year. Like, I understand going to training camp for a few weeks and then deciding, you know what, I'm going to go get my body right and get ready for the regular season because the Rockets are going to be competing for a title. But Devin Booker has been playing like four-month seasons for the Suns each of the last couple seasons. And I don't know, I think he could actually like use the USA experience and get a lot out of it. And so it, it does sort of bum me out. And it makes me feel old. And I I don't think either you or I are old. Like, obviously, we're cool. We listen to Taylor Swift. So it's it's we're in a strange place where I think there's like a generational gap where even our generation doesn't totally understand what's happening with like the 20 year olds. No, I mean, what you're describing here is a real crisis for the podcast. okay? because I'm supposed to have (laughs) I'm supposed to be the one with the mature, rational, wide, you know, wide ranging, thoughtful takes. Not you. You're supposed yeah. to be rash and, you know, defending all these players and, oh, you old guys, get off my, you know, get off my lawn. That's supposed to be your role here. But you're dead right. I mean, first of all, he's got 250 million coming for the next four or five years already in the bank. There is zero injury risk for him in this tournament, right? Like it's basically a, right. a John Wall situation. He has a lot to learn from Greg Popovich. He has a lot to learn from Steve Kerr. And that was another thing. I mean, this isn't only about Devin Booker. Like, Darren Fox, I wrote about him right before he withdrew. And the people around the gym, whether it's coaches, rival coaches, scouts, whatever, were like, this guy, when you're in Sacramento, you've got multiple different coaches. You know, everybody's putting different ideas into your head. Like, this guy can benefit from the Team USA experience more than basically anyone else. And it's the same deal with Booker, too, because he's gone through the the coaching changes uh, in Phoenix as well. Like, these are the guys who should just be, like, eating up everything that Popovich and Kerr have to offer like because there's just when else are they going to get this opportunity for wisdom i mean it's just not happening in their lives and they're at formative stages too where like they're about to take potentially the next step towards superstardom it could really work for them and so i was disappointed that he wound up withdrawing fox and you know it was disappointing that booker didn't just start the summer by saying you know what this is going to be my team see you in vegas where i'm going to cook all of you in one-on-one-on-one it's going to go viral because none of you guys can stop my deep bag of of moves and step backs and uh, mid-range jumpers and floaters and you know it's just like this is going to be my squad that's what i would like to see from this player who has been anointed by some as like the next great scorer in basketball okay show us there's more to it than just doing it uh you know in five on five or three on three pickup or whatever else and uh you know yeah i'm bummed out but it's not personal to him by the way i think all these young guys should play i think everybody should play that's that's certainly my attitude as well. I would have maybe understood if Donovan Mitchell didn't play, given some of the mileage on him uh, as like the centerpiece of the Jazz. But I think it's cool that he did play, and I do think it's interesting when you look at the generation that's coming up here. They have different strengths and weaknesses, and if like if you could fuse some of Devin Booker's creativity as a scorer, like he's so fluid and smooth. If you could give some of that to Jason Tatum, who clearly like 
wants it and wants to be that guy and and take the shot in those moments and create like I wish you could kind of like fuse them together because that would be the type of like generational wing that we're looking for um and and i do think Wait, Booker, are, like, is this like has a, a lot of skills is this a dna plan what? or like what level are you talking about <laughs> no, <laughs> like no, are you I up just, in the lab right now like what are you describing they have they all these guys have different blind spots uh right now and it's going to be interesting to see how they mature and you know one of the things that as i was talking about this with sam like one of the things that came up is um you look at like Kawhi and Harden and Clay, like when they were 21 and 22 years old, nobody had any idea that they were going to turn into stars. And so the development is going to go in some interesting directions with some of these guys. And, um, and I really have no idea how it'll play out. One guy I wouldn't overlook as we look at this wing conversation my guy Brandon Ingram, fresh start in New Orleans. Anything is possible for him, but like that's that's the mix that we're dealing with. It's like it, it would be cool to see Brandon Ingram take a step forward. It would be cool to see Devin Booker win like more than twenty five games in Phoenix, and uh, we'll just have to sort of wait and see. Yeah, and I think you know just to underscore the point you made about uh, Kawhi and Clay and the development that they made, like let's not forget that they did that with great organizations, right? And lots of help and lots of structure. Yeah. So that could benefit a player like Tatum. That could definitely benefit a player like Donovan Mitchell, um, where you've got organizations that, you know, are good from the top down. I think that should be helpful. Um, you know, it does make me worry about some of these other guys where you're, you're pure talented. Do you have the coach? Do you have the GM? Do you have the owner who all have the same vision for what your sh- career should be? Are you surrounded by the right people who are managing your time during the off season? I mean, you know, those kinds of support things I think can make the difference between guys elevating themselves into that true superstar category or just sort of, you know, plateauing at a little bit of a a lower state. Definitely. And my take on Booker, just for the record, has always been that he is eerily similar to Kyrie Irving in that he can raise the ceiling for certain teams, but I don't think that he, if he's the best player, I don't think he's going to raise the floor as high as someone like Donovan Mitchell. But that's part of what makes it so frustrating that he's not on Team USA because he's exactly the type of guy who could raise their ceiling and give them exactly what they need at the end of the games and give them some of what Donovan Mitchell hasn't necessarily given them. It's as far as shooting and the and the skill required to tear apart some of these zones. But yeah, he, alas, he's also I'm the, sick of he's the, sounding like an old guy. He's also the same type of guy who get just like roasted by some random Turkish wing like for thirty points and just yeah. get absolutely mocked on Twitter for you know a week straight. And I hope that wasn't factoring in, into his decision. You know what I mean? Because he has not been in the real spotlight at all during his NBA career. He's been able to craft his own. Uh, reputation around the highlight moments rather than around the consistent night in night out stuff and there's a gap between the level that his fans think he's at and the level that he's actually at and it just would have been nice for him to come out and put his stamp on it rather than say you know what I'm just gonna yell at Joakim Noah this summer (laughs) yeah he was too worried about death by Furkan Korkmaz But on that note, Ben, let's keep it moving because we have one other topic to hit on a tighter pod today. Faoud says, are we underrating the Brooklyn Nets as a possible suitor for Bradley Beal? That's the one team all summer long in the back of my mind I've been saying, you know, why wouldn't they make a play for Beal? What do you think about that possibility? Well, this is a great um, opportunity just to thank all the guest hosts that we had come on uh, over the last month. We got Michael Lee from The Athletics, Sekou Smith uh, from NBA TV, Mike Trudell from The Lakers, and of course, Rob Mahoney from Sports Illustrated. I got into this question, I believe, with Michael Lee um, earlier this summer, and I'm right there with you, man. Uh, I don't like the idea of Kyrie, Kevin, and DeAndre Jordan as a big three. I reject it. I don't mm-hmm. like the idea of Kyrie and Kevin as a big two that can be a title contending team by themselves. I reject it. I'm not totally sold that a guy like Karis LeVert can improve enough to put himself into that big three and make them a title contender. I'm hesitant on that one, but I'm willing to uh, let that see. But if you're telling me, okay, we're packaging some of these minor assets together, you know, we're mortgaging the future a little bit with picks, and now Beal's going to be locked in as part of a big three with Kyrie and Kevin okay, now I like this idea a lot more than any of those other alternatives. 
Yeah, you know, and Zach Lowe wrote a column about this question this week where he was saying, you know, teams have to decide whether they want a big two or go for it with a big three, big two in depth or three stars, basically, is the question. And um, I think one of the things that I found interesting in there is ultimately how I would answer that question is that, like, guys like Spencer Dinwiddie are going to eventually become expensive for the Nets. And some of the role players that provide that depth now will hit free agency in a year or two, and they'll have to pay those guys anyways. And it's the same reason the the Lakers were better off waiting and trying to get three stars, because you're going to get more bang for your buck with three superstars than you will if you're going to have to start overpaying role players to fill out the roster. Like if if it's a question of $30 million for D'Angelo Russell versus paying Danny Green $15 million a year, like you're going to be better off paying D'Angelo Russell. And um, and Beal is better than D'Angelo Russell, obviously. Uh, D'Angelo is a little polarizing, but I think that's why if I were the Nets, I would, I would make calls on Beal every single week because you could bring in Beal now and it's suddenly like your ceiling gets higher for this season. And, um, I don't know as yeah, a as a wizard. To be clear fan, though, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have that be one of the major reasons I would do it. Like I think they should still mm-hmm. be looking at punting this coming season because I mean Kyrie and Scraps or Kyrie Beal and Scraps, I mean you're not competing with Milwaukee, you're not competing with Philly. You're not gonna make the Eastern Conference finals, right? right? So don't let that be driving your thinking. Like if Kyrie is coming into training camp being like, I need some more help, da 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 you have to tell Kyrie, look, the help is coming. Okay, he's wearing number seven. You have to wait on it. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I don't think that they should be caught up in this like rat race of, oh, let's go add Beal so that we could just, you know, try to, you know, get our. No, no, no. I, it's just a fun bonus. But I, I think that they should be pursuing Beal now to try and get him before another team steals him. Um, but I, I don't know if they would have the assets necessarily. Like, uh, people love Karis Levert. I thought he played really well in the Sixers series. But you look at some of his numbers last year, and like he, I think he's he's a great sixth man to yeah, have. I mean, but he's not someone I would want as like a, a centerpiece of a Beal trade. Yeah, that team was overrated top to bottom last year. I mean, point blank. You know, they got the cute story. Yeah, live. well, and, and Karis was a great story, so it was cool to watch him succeed. But like, let's not go over. No, he might have been the cutest story. I mean, let's be real. Like, <laughs> given the injury and the incredible comeback, and like you said, how he played in the playoffs and all that, but. That team was so overrated the whole way. Uh, guys like you got excited after game one of the playoffs. Was, you know, nothing made me smirk harder and, and longer than that uh, You know, 48-hour period. Um, I would not be wanting Karis LeVert as the centerpiece of a Beal package. I would be wanting a pick that was really, really good if I was Washington. Look, the Nets beating that Sixers team would have been one of the funniest NBA <laughs> outcomes of my lifetime. And so excuse me for getting excited at just a massive downfall for the Sixers. Uh, I'm still upset that they found a way to pull it together. Um, is there anyone else out there? Like I, if I were the Nuggets, I'd be trying to trade for Beal. I have no idea where he's going to end up. The Wizards people are very serious about just not trading him this year, so um, maybe he won't move at all, but I feel like that's the next wild card that can kind of shake up the league a little bit. Yeah, there's no question, and how they manage him this year will be very, very interesting too. In my newsletter, I kind of put together for Labor Day like the hardest working players list, and I highlighted Beal because not only did he lead the league in minutes, but he also led the league in uh, distance traveled uh, during the season, right? So it's not like he's mm. loafing or saving himself. Like, I mean, his workload was super heavy. You could definitely argue Harden was, you know, carried a, a you know, a tougher load just based on the usage and the shot numbers and, you know, the, the touch time and all that. But Beal was up there amongst, like, the heaviest burden players. And it was for absolutely no reason. I mean, they weren't even close to the playoff picture. You go into next year, he's going to be that same motivation to get that All-NBA because he wants the Supermax. And like you said, Washington has been telegraphing. We'll give him basically whatever he wants. This is his team. He's the franchise guy. So they're not really in a position to say, we're going to scale your minutes back. So he'll probably be running up the minutes yet again this year to chase that Supermax money. And... I, to be honest, I kind of think Washington would give him the supermax. Right? I don't think they would go. They would go the Michael Jordan route next summer if he qualified. You know, like the way the Hornets treated Kemba. 
uh, I kind of feel like that would be the cash out. And if you're Beal, that's pretty hard to not just want to stay the course on. So uh, I guess we're gonna have to see this one play out. But I, I think my real takeaway here is I believe the Wizards when they're saying they want to uh, kind of keep him and do right by him. I, I kind of don't think it's posturing. I, I think that they're desperate. For, it's not. Yeah, yeah, they're desperate for an identity. And I think Beal gives that to them. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see because like Beal will have to be the one to change that equation, and I don't know. Like, That's what I'm saying. Like, if I were, are him, you asking? I would have asked out six months ago. So, but I'm saying, like, let's say if you get to February and you're Beal, are you asking for load management with the All NBA on the line? No, like, I think he's no. going to try to make All NBA <laughs> right. and get that Supermax deal. That's generational wealth. Like, absolutely. Try to make it happen. Try to make it work with Rui and Troy Brown and see where you are in a few years. Um, that that strategy makes sense because Beal does seem to be perfectly content as the centerpiece of this Wizards team and the, the franchise leader. Like, I, he's obviously not happy with the losing, but he likes playing that role, and he's been good playing that role off the court, at least. Um, so, on that note, I have two other quick questions before we close out here. My one Nets question that has nagged at me all summer long, I feel like no one has really talked about the possibility of Kevin Durant coming back early. Have you thought about that at all? I'm in a very dark place when it comes to Kevin takes right now. Um, So (laughs) I don't want to open my heart up to that level of exposure. I hope he doesn't come back. I don't want to see Kevin until October 2020. Okay. Just okay. That's that's the good take. That's the smart take. I it, it just I watch him work out, and you look at like Rudy Gay came back, I believe, in ten or eleven months, and so it's not completely out of the question. But I think I'm with you that like everyone invested in KD being great over the final five or six years of his career should be rooting for him to just sit out for 15 or 16 months and come back a year from now. Yeah, it's not like we don't have evidence of what happens if he does come back too early and how that could go wrong. You know what I mean? Exactly. (laughs) It's like, you know, like I'm just kind of playing with the flame on the, on the stove. My hand is like pressed onto the stove and it's burning up still from that June uh, finals experience. And let's, you know, again, as we pointed out at the time, Kevin and his camp bore some responsibility for that decision, right? No one was forced. Like he's even told Chris Haynes kind of let the Warriors off the hook in terms of that decision-making process of, are they pressuring him to come back and so forth? It's the same deal for the comeback uh, whenever it would happen, whether it's the end of this season uh, or in the next season. Like, of course, there's going to be some voices who want Kevin to come back. You put him into the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, who knows? That's a, you know, that, that could be a team that sneaks in the conference finals, maybe even the finals. Uh, if he's 90% of who he is as a player, he's arguably the best player in the conference. You have to resist that temptation, I think. And I hope that he's got the right people who have learned the lesson and, and can see the bigger picture. My hope for Kevin is 10 more years of great basketball, right? Um, it's not going to happen if he rushes back into it. I, I think that, um, you know, I just, the, the risks, it, all of it just makes me nauseous, uncomfortable to even think about. And I really hope we don't start to see that stuff trickling out during the course of the regular season. I might have to start putting on like noise canceling headphones when I walk around in public. So I don't <laughs> expose myself to those types of rumors, maybe wear a blindfold. I don't know. Okay. No, I'm glad we talked this out because first of all, that was well said. Second of all, I agree with just about everything you said there. And I'm glad that we could get this out of the way. We don't have to have another conversation about Kevin Durant's injury until he's back in 12 months or 13 months uh, in 2021. Or no, I guess it'll be fall of 2020. But either way, uh, that's the preferred timeline. And hopefully the Nets will sort of make that clear as well. And so we can avoid some of the weirdness that we saw over the course of like the end of the playoffs. No, I mean, but speaking look, of living through nightmares, you caught me at an especially vulnerable moment because I've been working on my top 100 <laughs> and the pain of realizing the guy who I was going to give that number one spot to and not even being able to include him in the top 100 because he's injured. Do you understand the wave of emotion? It's so upsetting. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about because we went through that at SI where a couple people were asked to name their top player. And this just should have been KD's year and to have it be taken away because it feels a little early for Giannis after the way things ended last season. 
putting LeBron there is a little frustrating as well. And then like the Durant, Durant just being completely off the map just really, really sucks. So I actually feel your pain. This is one time where we are aligned in a top 100 It's the worst one ever. My rules about no injured players and no rookies prevent me from ranking KD and Zion. I've been over here having like a midlife crisis over this the last two days. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. Well, look, let's just end it there. Uh, We'll be coming back early next week with another podcast. But for now, Ben, we'll, we're going to end our first podcast back on a amazingly depressing note with the KD stuff. Oh, we're but actually going to. It's good to be we're back. We're going to end it on a good note because you're back and you, you brought it real strong with the hello at the top. And the best part about you coming back, besides your witty banter and the conversation, is I don't have to get any more emails killing how poorly I imitate your hello at the top of the podcast. (laughs) We got that email at least 15 times from different people. And I just want everyone to know out there. Okay. It was like an homage to Andrew. Okay. I'm not trying to like one up him, but you have to realize when Andrew goes on vacation, I turn into that girl from the meme. Who's doing like the really sad Macarena dance where she's like crying and doing it in slow-mo. Like that's, that's my inside feeling when Andrew's not here on this podcast. Okay. So it's really hard to muster up the like really the hello like the big one like you do it and so you know everybody get off my back Andrew's uh returned triumphantly to carry us uh, as the host I'm really glad you have and again thanks to everyone who came on as as guest host they did an awesome job guys you can email us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com we're also on apple Podcasts. find our page by searching for open floor that's two words when you get there scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy we're closing in on 52,000 reviews help push us over the top it's an unbelievable number nobody else has ever gotten that high I'm on Instagram at Ben.Oliver. Andrew's on Instagram, but he never posts. Check him out, I suppose. (laughs) Until next week, I will talk to you. It's going to be a great season. Here we go. 